0: Over the next hour you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. your heart love find you. unbind you.
1: Quite a treat today for Song of the Soul.
0: I've got a visit with John Watts, a songwriter and spoken word artist that I interviewed back about five years ago. His current release is called Clothe Yourself in Righteousness, which might sound rather like language common to many church folks today. But then you get to his song, Let's Get Naked, which should clue you into the fact that there's something special and off the beaten path going on here. John Watts is the real thing a musician and wordsmith who uses his words for probing spiritual depths. So get yourself ready for an experience you won't soon forget, John Watts and the Clothe Yourself in Righteousness Project. John, welcome back to Song of the Soul. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. You're in the midst of birthing, finishing up this years-long, I think, project. How long was the gestation period for this?
2: Gosh, I mean, I since my last album, The Art of Fully Being, that I recorded at Pendle Hill, was my last full length. I've been, I mean, I've been sort of gestating, you know, like sort of thinking about what's next and uh, what direction my songwriting was going to take. I spent a lot, a long period just sort of waiting. I think a lot of the artistic process is waiting and not knowing. So it's been, it's been several years since my last project. And as I was writing the songs for this project, I, um, this project being Clothe Yourself in Righteousness, I didn't necessarily know sort of how they were going to fit into a cohesive vision. You know, I just sort of write little pieces of songs and then start developing them. So that's, it's been a couple of years. And I guess about a year and a half ago, I really made the decision to sort of write under the umbrella of this clothe yourself in righteousness concept. But, you know, I found that even songs that I had been writing for the year before that ended up sort of fitting well into the project. So I had this leading and it was a while before I really recognized it. But a lot of times my songwriting knows better than than I do (laughs) what I'm what it is that I'm trying to say.
0: Well, flesh out this concept The clothe yourself in righteousness and nakedness seem to go hand in hand.
2: So I actually heard about specifically Quakers going naked. So Quakers in the 17th century, when the Quaker movement was just started, so when it wasn't a grouping of institutions yet or a solidified sort of branch of Christianity, and it was just this movement that was springing up, there were these radical... Quakers who would sometimes go naked through the streets of England in the 17th century. I first heard about this during a project that I did my senior year at Guilford College that I was writing about the early friends. And I did an interview with a professor there whose name is Max Carter. Just from that one interview, I got an entire album (laughs) worth of material. I mean, Max told me about James Naylor, the early Quaker who rode on a well, he said donkey, I think it it was a horse, but rode into Bristol in a reenactment of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and then was tried in front of Parliament as for high blasphemy and whipped through the streets of London and all this. And so that, you know, that was a big story for me of you know what was going on there what was going on with the early friends and what was the statement that James Naylor was making the the other friend that I really latched on to that Max told me about was Solomon Eccles. Solomon Eccles was a musician in the 17th century um, when when being a musician was a very upper class activity. It was a you know, the Baroque age, so the frilly wigs and the carriages and symphonies. And Quakers were levelers, so they were intending to level the social class system. So they were against music, the practice of this upper class activity. So Solomon Eccles, when he became a musician, burned all of his violins in a public square in London. So this is, <laughs> this is a really intense early Quaker. And um, another story about Solomon Eccles is that Quakerism was coming in and out of legality in the 1650s. And there was a point where Quakerism was made illegal over the course of a weekend. It was suddenly illegal for Quakers to meet. When they did meet on Sunday morning in the Bull and Mouth Meeting House in London, the police... Came in and broke up the meeting and beat people and even killed one Quaker. And the next day, Solomon Eccles went to a public market called the Smithfield Market in London naked, with a basket of burning coals on his head, which obviously wasn't okay. <laughs> you know, like um, as shocking as it would be nowadays for someone to run through a public square naked, you know, it would be sort of a YouTube moment for us and for them. It was. I mean, you would get. Arrested and beaten and have your property taken away. So it was a a more conservative time. I mean, even to show your ankles was considered scandalous. So, yeah, for him to run through a public square naked was quite challenging, courageous, scary. I don't know. So, my friend Maggie, I moved to West Philly about a year ago, and my friend Maggie Harrison had been writing a pamphlet for the Earlham School of Religion about. These early friends and Quakerism and nakedness and also sort of comparing it to the modern Quaker practice or at least the practice that I experienced at Guilford of streaking in a big group. So, I mean, you know, immediately that caught my attention and it kind of went from there as we as we started exploring it. I at least first started approaching the project in in a playful way. So, you know, this idea of running naked through the streets is fun, <laughs> you know, or at least it, it was in college that the idea was to be sort of funny and quirky and, and freeing. It wasn't necessarily the same for the early Quakers, they were experiencing it as, the, as a leading from God and a, a burden. I mean, you know, something, a call that you, you really want to say no to. It's not a, it's not a comfortable thought to strip off all your clothes and run through the streets naked or walk through the streets naked. You know, like being that bared is, um, is not safe. It's not safe. It's dangerous. So as Maggie and I started exploring these stories and our own inward feelings about the stories and about nakedness, we realized that there was something, you know, much deeper there than just the playfulness. Although, um, the playfulness did come, certainly did come into the project. I just released a music video that that is about streaking at Guilford College, but the the message, the underlying message, is sort of is much scarier <laughs> than the playfulness of a group. Streak in college. It's much more of a call to something that is that's not safe, that's not fun, that can really shake things up.
0: I understand that you and Maggie actually did your bit of streaking together. This is back when you were at Guilford. And when you're doing it back then, you're just having fun. But somehow, maybe this planted a seed for both of you, kind of independently or uh, on parallel different tracks.
2: Yeah, so the the story about me and Maggie is that we didn't know each other very well at Guilford, you know, we were, we were acquaintances and we were getting to know each other. And towards the end of our, we just had one year together there. I was a senior and she was a freshman and I was doing my big project on Quakerism there. And, and the nakedness piece was just a little, it was one thing that Max Carter had mentioned in an interview. It wasn't the focus of that project. So it, it really was just this little seed that we weren't even really paying attention to. And, and the funny thing is that Maggie and I, one spring afternoon during the final exams suddenly just streaked around campus just the two of us around the quad with with no preparation without planning it just like I don't even know who initiated or or how it started, but that was sort of the energy with which nakedness was a part of our lives, was this um, totally playful activity. But as Maggie and I have each grown into our ministries and into our calls in the world, I think we've both experimented with this kind of public nakedness, this kind of radical thing of being very authentic, being very bare, and also trying trying to wake up people's souls, you know? And, and trying to do that through our personal ministries of nakedness. Obviously, you're not going to wake up somebody's soul if you're just, you know, doing the grind day in and day out. You have to find some place in yourself where you're radically exposing yourself. You're doing, you're doing something that's very personal and even kind of dangerous. So over the course of the years, we I graduated in 2006, so it's been five years. And over the course of the years, I've been touring and releasing albums that are very personal and e- exploring how sort of the impact of this very personal style of songwriting on the world, I guess some would say, it's been called confessional, confessional songwriting. So that, I don't know, that practice of confessing to an audience when it's just me on stage and the audience is, very, is a very um, powerful and often uncomfortable experience and not, not necessarily one that I would choose for myself. You know, like um, it's not safe. It's something that I have to really prepare a great deal for in order to release it, because it's my story, it's my narrative that's very tender for me. So for me to feel called in the world to go up on stage, and I there I have a shy side. <laughs> I would I would rather be have a personal life, <laughs> um, but I do I feel I've felt called in the world to make this art that's very personal and very bare. And I know that Maggie's Maggie's writing is also very personal. Um, the pamphlet tells stories about her personal life, and also she writes from the first person a lot. And I know that putting something like this out there into the world has been a sort of a bearing experience for her. So it's developed from this playful activity, you know, this one thing that Maggie and I did spontaneously when we were at Guilford College, into this conversation that we're having really about about nakedness, about stripping off the layers that are hiding us from the world, and then clothing yourself in righteousness from there. So the order goes, get naked, let's get naked, and then let's clothe ourselves in righteousness. And Maggie's pamphlet goes into a great deal of detail about sort of what that looks like. And I consider this project a call for me to be in conversation about what that looks like. And Maggie has a lot of really great things to say about the feeling of being clothed in righteousness, and how it's there is a feeling of being held when you get there. When I'm about to go onto a stage, I do a lot of prayer and meditation and, and waiting and trying to rid myself of, the, of my clothing, of the things that I'm attached to, of my ego and my need for positive feedback. And, my need, and just, to, just to get to a place where I can hand this out as a gift. And I feel like when I am in that place, when I'm handing it out as a gift and I have no expectations of how it's going to be received, I'm just present and loving, then I, I'm i clothed again. I'm re-clothed in something that's even more powerful than the sort of walls that we put up and the things that we hide behind.
0: Well, I think with that as intro, it's probably time to put some of your music out there. And But before we do that, I actually want to make the point you're a musician and uh, you're a spoken word artist. What's your identity as far as you're concerned? What do you think of yourself as? Are you a poet? Are you a musician, a singer? On one of your recordings, you actually are singing as opposed to the kind of spoken, sometimes chanting-like presentation that you do. Do you have a an identity that maybe compares you to other people or helps you identify, speak who you really are?
2: Of course. Yeah, I'm a I'm a human and an individual living in this in this world where we really identify with our individuality and identify by what we do. So, um, I would say that I'm a musician exploring music as ministry, and the sort of the main way that that's come to me is through this spoken word style. So, in exploring music as ministry, what I've done is sort of taken the Quaker model of ministry, which is that God that we all have access to God, that God is amongst us and within us. And if we listen deeply to that, then we can become a channel for God's message. So our meetings for worship are held in silence and quiet expectation, expectant waiting. So the meeting for worship is an invitation for God to show up and to use us. So my deepest answer to your question is that I am a vessel for god or for the spirit or for the universe or whatever whatever word really rings true for you and that comes through in different forms so i've done this i've done this singing i've you know people like to ask me what i play so yeah i play the guitar and i play the piano but sometimes i pick up instruments that i've never played before and and just listen Just listen and invite the instrument to use the voice that the instrument wants to use. I know that sounds really hippie and new agey, but it's it's true. I'm in a relationship with the instrument that I'm playing, and I feel like it's my job to bring the bring a statement out of the instrument and to really listen deeply for what the instrument is trying to say. And I do I do have a thread running in my life of this spoken word poetry. And in the past, it's been more sort of hip hop with you know beats and drums. And in, on this particular project, I cut out all the drums. I appropriately enough I stripped the sound bare. So it's just me and a guitar and then I added in a violinist.
0: So get us started on our first song for your song of the soul. Which one out of your recent recording should we listen to first?
2: Well, I think it all starts with let's get naked. You know, and as Maggie's pamphlet says, you know, clothe yourself in righteousness, but first let's get naked. So first we have to strip down and see see what's underneath that clothing and what it looks like for us to go bare.
0: You said it. Let's get naked. John Watts.
1: Adam wasn't full of knowledge Adam was ashamed Adam only knew about that one mistake he made, and the worst mistake ever was to give these leaves to us I mean, our own doubts and fears would be perfectly enough, but no, we have to hide them, and ignore what's at the roots, we're told to love our fig leaves more than we love the truth, but I'm here to tell you, Adam, I'm shedding all your shame, I'm throwing off this clothing and I'm dancing in the rain I've got a lot to lose by speaking truth, but even more to gain. Come on. So let's get naked, let your shame fall away like shedding blankets, let your fear and your identity hang around your ankles and let's run around, show the world the stuff we've found, the beauty we've kept hidden underneath these pounds and pounds of extra clothing, I'm shedding myself loathing and replacing it with trust, I'm only here to love, I'm through with thinking anyone's the judge, come on. When we disrobe, we let the light shine in We strip off the stuff that was left from the lining I'm not signing autographs because I don't even have a name I left it at the party in a pile with all my pain And I'm trained to cover up, I'm trained to hide this shame I'm trained in the fine art of trying to remain sane In a world where judgment's passed, where people are condemned We cover up our flaws long before we work on them But I'm loving all my blimmy With sentimental tenderness I'm writing down these sentences Defenseless And let's get naked Let your shame fall away like shedding blankets Let your fear and your identity hang around your ankles And let's run around Show the world the stuff we've found The beauty we've kept hidden underneath these Pounds and pounds of extra clothing I'm shedding myself loathing and replacing it with trust I'm only here to love I'm through with thinking anyone's the judge Come on
0: That's from John Watts' latest recording. It's Let's Get Naked. You'll find it out on his website and a number of other places, johnwatts.com. That's J O N W A T T S.com. Go there and find links to a lot of videos that you've also released, John. You want to talk about those?
2: What's been going on? Sure, yeah. Thank, thanks for asking. I, um, I had a music video a couple of years ago that I recorded at Pendle Hill, which is a retreat center outside of Philadelphia. The music video is a Quaker meeting that spontaneously erupts into a dance party. And I filmed it as a music video for my song, Friends Speaks My Mind, which is a song about growing up. Quaker. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, in Baltimore Yearly Meeting, and they have a really strong camping program there. So I worked at all the summer camps and also was a really active young friend. So um, that song, Friends Speaks My Mind, is about sort of uh, the experience and the theology of growing up as a liberal FGC Quaker. And um, this video, Dance Party Erupts During Quaker Meeting for Worship, I posted it on YouTube and then went camping For a couple of days and when i got back it had thousands and thousands of views (laughs) and i had all of these emails in my inbox and as i travel around amongst friends you know i've traveled up and down the east coast this is the thing that people have really seen is this dance party video so i feel like there's a there's a thirst amongst quakers to sort of see art that's exploring our faith and for me that's part of exploring music as a ministry is that i'm a servant you know, most most musical careers are sort of about the self and the talent and ego of the artist. So the artist sort of writes love songs or just writes really good songs and everyone says, ''Oh my God, you're such a great artist.'' And you know, at some point in college, I realized that that wasn't that wasn't doing it for me that didn't feel that didn't feel like a justification for devoting myself to an artistic career and When I found this style of exploring my faith and specifically exploring the Quaker community, I started to feel like it's uh like i'm a, like i'm a servant i'm telling a story and i'm starting a conversation So the forum of YouTube offers us this opportunity for us to make and and the internet in general for us to make art that is exploring our faith and is starting a conversation i think we're still in this really passive consumer mode about art in which you know i mean part of the dynamic of the youtube video was that people sort of treated it like i was on tv or something really going like representing Quakerism in the world, but it's just a YouTube video that one individual made, and and YouTube is a forum. Like I would, I really want to encourage other folks to make responses and make parodies of the YouTube video that I made, and I mean that's really how YouTube works, right? And how the internet works in general is things kind of blow up, and we all inter- are able to interact with them in a way that we aren't with television or anything like that. So I've been sort of exploring that that the dance party erupts during Quaker meeting for worship was kind of a one-time shot. I hadn't had much experience with, videos or music videos. And and when that had a large impact, I realized that this was something that I wanted to engage with more. So I got some video cameras and did an experiment with this album, with Clothe Yourself in Righteousness. I videotaped everything. (laughs) Every aspect of every song is on film somewhere on an external hard drive that I have. And as I've been releasing the project, I've been going back and sorting through that footage and organizing them into these what are now called video songs. So it's a it's a video in which you at some point during the video see all of the elements of the song that you hear. So when I released the music video for Let's Get Naked, that's the video of us streaking after a after a meeting for worship at Guilford College. I also simultaneously released a video of me playing the song in the studio. So it's like a totally different experience where uh I'm just, I am just set up a camera and then focus on the sound. You know, I have headphones on, and Marina, the violinist who worked with me on the record, you can see all the different parts that she played on it. And so I'm going to continue editing this footage into different videos and releasing a video each week of a different song from the album.
0: One thing that I find is kind of interesting about your lyrics and your whole approach, I'm sure that some older generations, and I'm probably one of them, could think that you're kind of irreverent you're not doing you're not talking about quaker history in the reverent dry historical way you're interacting with it in a real live manner and at the same time i think that in many ways you're doing the deepest entry into the subjects. i know that you want to share one of your songs don't doff your hat i think that in that song in many ways you explain some of the original Quaker traditions from back, you know, mid-1600s. I say traditions. The the practices that they undertook that were really radical at the time, but you put them into language that makes sense today. And I think most people just think Quakers, oatmeal, that's about as far as they go, and they think we look like Amish, and that's it. Can you say a little bit about where this came from, don't doff your hat?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it, it all it all goes back to that first interview that I did with Max Carter for my senior project at, at Guilford College called A Few Songs Occasioned. You know, he was telling stories to me that made Quakerism come become real to me. It became not just words on a page, not just stories about old dead people that don't really matter. I mean, these people were doing really radical stuff. They were shaking things up and they they were on fire for it. They were on fire for it. So realizing that I think sort of ignited a fire inside of myself, you know, to realize that the 21st century is the present in the way that the 17th century was the present for George Fox and James Naylor and Solomon Eccles and Margaret Fell. So this activity that I describe in the beginning of Don't Doff Your Hat is that sometimes early friends would practice interruption. <laughs> they would they would early friends would make a scene in a church, you know, in this, these big Anglican churches in in England in the 1650s, which everyone had to go to, the government and the church were the same. You pay your taxes as tithes to the church. You were required to do that. The you know the the king of England is the head of the church, so it's all it's all intermingled. In a lot of ways, it's killed the spiritual life of the citizenry. So you're forced to go to this church every Sunday. You don't have a particularly life giving relationship with the spirit or Christ or the the Bible you just have this priest or this preacher who sort of hands you down what you're supposed to think and and for a lot of people that's I mean that's the status quo that's what you're doing that's you know that's what everyone's doing So what happened occasionally was that Quakers would go into these Anglican churches during the service. And interrupt the service, interrupt the priests as they're preaching, and start, you know, quoting biblical text to essentially make the point that we can think for ourselves, we can read the Bible for ourselves, and we can have our own relationship with Christ, which is a totally radical idea at the time. I mean, it was it was turning the tables on the powers that be. You know, this was a this was a disruptive behavior. (laughs) You know, if if a friend did this, they would often be arrested. But I've read stories about a Quaker going in and interrupting the service and then people standing up and walking out with them. You know, having that, having that change the whole service and, the, and people's lives, people's lives were being changed by this extremely disruptive, you know, not socially okay behavior. So Don't Doff Your Hat is an attempt to sort of capture the, the feeling or the emotion of that kind of an event. So it starts off very slow. You know, you're in church, you're sort of thinking about other stuff. And then this Quaker comes in and just stirs things up in your heart and scares you. And, you know, I say makes you turn away. And, and so I try to capture that energy in the song of this like sort of frantic, disruptive Behavior. The hook is it's like this, Mr. Quicker, in your broad brim hat. You don't doff that hat for nobody. And that um, the practice of not doffing your hat was another socially disruptive behavior of social leveling. So you were supposed to always doff your hat in the street to someone who was a higher social rank than you. And Quakers decided that they weren't going to do that because they believed that everyone had an equal access to God. So this was another practice that they were getting arrested for and, and getting their property taken away for, is not doffing their hat.
0: Don't doff your hat. John Watts.
2: The scene is calm,
1: the pastor speaks, the people sit in their seats, the aisles are long, the church is dark, it's nearly impossible to find your spark, a woman coughs, a baby cries, the echo is infinite, close your eyes, the air is musty, it smells like dust. You're wondering why... You keep coming back, I mean you could be working or flat on your back, enjoying the gifts of the creation. But a matter of law is a matter of fact. You pay a tithe to the church, and you pay more than a tax, you pay in spirit. Your children are hungry, and the preacher spouts threats about going to hell and paying your debts and you believe him because he wears that hat. Then in strolls, George Fox looking like he knows something, speaking in verse as if the words weren't rehearsed. He makes people panic and they turn away, afraid, immediately apprehensive till they heard him say, yo, pastor, yo, this pulpit is sacred, but so is the shop where I bought my shoes. And these people are sacred as they're sitting in their pews. They don't know God's love any less than you. And sometimes when the man is through with his verse, the people rise up and follow him out of the church. Church, but most times he just gets himself arrested He says the powers are vested in only the few But God vested his powers into you Come on yeah, It's like this Mr. Quaker in your broad brim hat You don't doff that hat for nobody And if you did doff it often It's a solemn little following of Christ Or the inner light, whatever you can call it Come on In a prison in Exeter, a prisoner got a letter. He sits in the corner unspoken. Yo, they said he healed people. They said he might be Christ with a letter next to him unopened. He had written hundreds of pamphlets to the enemies of friends. God was sending him to listen to the answers. But one fanciful question that he had to entertain in the same way as he prayed to understand it. James Naylor had it, slept for days. He might have missed the game plan in the following ways. also might be true that he was faithful he keeps saying the fables don't favor the few and that christ speaks through me too come on yo! Yeah, it's like this mr quaker in your broad brim hat you don't doff that hat for nobody and if you did doff it often it's a solemn little following of christ or the inner light whatever you can call it come on And is he simple? Hell yes, that man is simple With his simple dress, his simple speech, a simple smile upon his dimple When he walks down the street, that street is his temple When you got the right cinnamon, any place is cinnamon when he sees a noble man, he doesn't call him you Cause he's talking to one person, not two Because he's kind of a leveler, and he's kind of a ranter And he's standing with a lantern, trying to show you the light When the spirit's on fire, it can burn so bright It's like this Mr. Quaker in your broad brim hat You don't doff that hat for nobody And if you did doff it often It's a solemn little following of Christ Or the inner light, whatever you can call it Okay, so to Mr. George Fox Don't doff your hat
0: John Watts latest recording that was Don't Doff Your Hat and John one of the things that I really liked in that one and it brought back to me my own religious spiritual development is when you have uh, it's kind of the chorus in there yo Mr. Quaker and your broad brim hat and that kind of yo which is obviously a, a current thing made me feel like, okay, these are real people. This isn't just the caricatures that we get from historical notes, you know, when they're speaking in these and thous and all that kind of stuff. For me, it did the same thing as when I first listened to the soundtrack from Jesus Christ Superstar, when all of a sudden the idiom, it became live, like real people were doing it instead of just this freeze-frame thing from the past. And I thought you brought it to real life, and the the thee and the thou, the you, why you don't say you to, because you is for plural, and I'm talking one person, not two. You put that in so succinctly and so currently, it felt like it came alive for me. Of course, I've got the historical background about it already, because I'm Quaker also, but yo, you did good.
2: Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I think the. I mean the, it's a natural result of my having a background in this art form, and this is sort of, this is just the way that I communicate artistically and also a personal relationship with these early friends I mean it's a natural relationship that like I said, it feels like a it's great to hear that feedback of course, if I was sort of going for that or if that was my intention originally, then it wouldn't be as authentic as it is. It's kind of just it kind of just comes out that way
0: well, Let's keep moving on some more of your recordings. What's up next?
2: So next is together we compose this bloody, bleeding, beating drum. And I, I wanted to play this because it's, it's artistically maybe the most ambitious song on the record. And you asked me what my artistic identity is. And that's, that's something that we're always... I, I mean, as an artist, I feel like I'm always exploring You know, I've tried going to poetry slams and doing the poetry slam spoken word poet thing. And I've tried, you know, rapping over turntables and I've tried singing indie rock. You know, I've you know, I I think that we should always be experimenting and and messing with our identity. And so this song in particular, I was really I, I wrote this piece as a spoken word poem that can be performed as at a poetry slam. So that's sort of the energy that I was going for. And then, when I started adding instrumentation to it, it took on a life of its own. And I just love I love performing this piece. <laughs> it is, it's very wordy. You might want to just take a moment and, and breathe a little bit. And the advice that I would give to listeners, especially the listeners you were describing who are in an older generation and may, may not be familiar with the genre, is to not try and, is to try not to hold on to any one moment to hard you know it's not prose it's not um it's it's sort of free verse it's kind of stream of consciousness so i think you have to sort of let go of your of your need to attach meaning to every every single moment and also, you know, it, it requires a great number of listens to really get all of the meaning out of it. And I'm still listening to it. And every once in a while, I'll hear something and be like, oh, I hadn't thought about the double meaning of that. So I, as the artist who have it memorized and who wrote it and was there for every moment of its birth, am still getting more and more out of it. So I suggest that we post the lyrics. So maybe, Mark, you can, can we post the lyrics on your website or should we send people to mine?
0: I will post the lyrics on my site, but people can also find them by going to com. That's where you've got links to all kinds of stuff, right?
2: Yeah, music videos and video songs and segments of the pamphlet that Maggie wrote and an interview with Max Carter that we filmed for the music video and lyrics and T-shirts and all that all that stuff.
0: So like John said... Let's compose yourself and get ready to listen to this. You don't have to listen to every word. Listen to the energy and experience. Together we compose this bloody, bleeding, beating drum by John Watts.
1: So I once had a job, but I lost it in high school. Whenever I fooled myself into thinking that I needed their help, I was their fool. But now I'm my fool, and now I sign pools of rhymes into time cycles. I align myself with this bed of nails that's been recycled until I'm finally alive and dying at the same time. And when I sigh, then I'm sighing for peace. And when I die, then I'll rest there. Where I get my breath, there's a source of oxygen, a solidness imbued with phosphorus and a solemn intolerance for anything but love. And it's rooted in love. It's rooted in beauty. It's rooted in a sense of simpleness and ambiguity. And so I'll focus on discernment and breathing. We've all earned a learner's permit. Permit yourself to grieving and be freeing. And to teething when you're teething, and see peace in believing bereavements bereft, brethren, seven settlements, indebtedness to the betterment of love, and to the practice of love, and to the sadness that comes with the lack thereof. I won't speak to the world when the world isn't listening deeply. That's why I waited this long to release this song of songs. Songs of Solomon enthroned with the wood of Lebanon. Songs entombed in the womb until I felt that there's room to stop esconding with my pregnancy. And now Baal Haman is expecting me, expectantly. And I'm incessantly setting precedence in the presence of the president who presides presently over the peasantry. I'll set aside a suit of simple, simple Symmetry. Synthetically, I synthesize the story of what's natural. That's a glass half full of embattled Saturn plasma. It's a boy. No, it's a girl. It's a toy. No, it's the world's surface. Enduring certain circumstantial services. Super solemn, superficial, super sacrificial splurges in our endless bags of purchases. The sermon at your service spoke to sympathetic tourniquets in need of seeking reassurance for the next effeminate person to pool a possible burden. I speak urgently because this is urgent. This emergency is emergent and I'm a... Words, surgeon, servant, solace from my person, signs of solidness enduring, times of turbulence ensuring that I'm a growing and a maturing little butterfly. I can fly, signed my guardian angel, staying sane at the same table as the stablest savior, saves all the other saviors, bringing peace to your neighbors through osmosis. The closest soldier knows this war is hopeless. He knows that we're impoverished by the fists we've thrown. So now our foes can go home and we can plow the ground with swords we've melted down and use them to harvest all these seeds we've sown. So now we're saying prayers of gratefulness like grace is all we've known. We're singing songs of freedom like they're songs we've always sung. We're swinging siths like pendulums connecting one and one and one. One and one and one, we're sweetly leaking Jesus juice like Abraham's last son, tell Isaac that his time has finally come. Like I'm the sun and she's reflecting passion back to me the energy to run and i don't care that it's nighttime i don't care that day is done i don't care that all the owls stare and judge me like i'm dumb because i'm not dumb i know enough to know that i don't know my wisdom is sufficient to be quiet and to listen because in the basicest of instances our languages are different and the isolated brain is intrinsically indifferent so i'm gonna be a body and I'm beating like a heart. And I'm hoping that you'll be the blood to travel with this art because the muscles might be tired, they might be atrophied, they might be looking to caffeine for energy they need. But come on, let's get together. Someone be the lungs, someone be the need to breathe, and someone be the tongue, someone be the eyes and ears, and someone be the hands, someone who can persevere the. F- Feet on which we stand, and you're the rock body. No one's gifts left useless. The universe needs you to do the best that you can do with just what you've been given, with everything you've got night contribution fills a hole that mind is not and together we can stand together we can run together we collect our calories straight from the sun together we envision all our lives combined as one and together we compose this bloody bleeding beating drum come on
0: that song is a mouthful together we compose this bloody bleeding beating drum how long did you have to practice John before you could say that without any hesitation or maybe it just flows off your tongue that's that's natural for you
2: <laughs> It's some combination of the two I um it took me a long time to write it actually I probably wrote that over the course of a year and a half of little segments would come to me and I would say is that a new song is that what does that go with? And I would look back through my notebook and say, oh, that's actually um, what's coming to me right now is the next segment of that thing that I have no idea what it is or what format I'm going to present it in or you know what it's supposed to be. I just know that I've been given the next part. So it was kind of this epic journey for me of learning it. And I, and I learned how to say it as I went. So, you know, I, I wrote the first half over the course of like six months and As I write, I'm usually walking when I'm writing, and I always start at the beginning and say it to myself, and then the next line will come when I get to the end, and there's this just vast emptiness. You know, I come to the end of what I've got written and then sometimes I'll just fall off that cliff and I'll be like, "Okay, I'm done writing." Or sometimes it will just, oh, it will just reveal itself to me. So that's the point at which I'm practicing saying it. And now, you know what? I ha- I hardly have to practice at all. I had a my first CD release show this past Friday and I rehearsed a lot with the violinist, Marina who's amazing, by the way, especially live. We have a lot of solos for her, and she's just... She rips it, man. She's she's really good. But um, I hadn't practiced. Together we composed this bloody, bleeding, beating drum because Marina wasn't in it. And um, I delivered it as a spoken word piece without any music. And, you know, it's almost like I'm hearing it again myself, you know? like, And I'm able to be playful with it like that. It's like if I just relax and just let it flow, then it's its own thing. <laughs> it's it's like the only way that I screw it up is if I somehow get in the way or I start thinking about whether or not I said that right or I get distracted by something, then my tongue trips up and I can't do it anymore. Things like trying to remember what the lyrics are in the middle of it or what the lyric is right before what I just said Those are very difficult for me because it it's just it's like typing or something like once I get into the rhythm of it, it just goes and it flows on its own. So or like singing it's like singing the ABCs, (laughs) you know, the ABC song where a lot of people have to sing that to themselves to figure out where a letter is in the alphabet. It's kind of like that. I need to do the whole thing. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is how sort of how it's laid out.
0: I'm sorry, John, but it's one of my habits. I can't help but analyze some of the lyrics. And one of the phrases in there that struck me that I just want to say, I guess it it captures, portrays something that I think is so important about my own experience of spirituality or specifically religion, is when you're talking about the different body parts, your finite contribution fills a hole that mine does not. That just nailed it. That one just said, wow, you you named an essential truth that a lot of people don't get. And one of the things, I, and I'm really interested in your input on this, I've been trying to say, what's the difference between being spiritual and being religious? In essence, given the wide range of religions, what I think is the essential difference is if you're religious— you're part of a community, you're doing the work of community, which means all these different body parts working together. And if you're spiritual, you can do that on your own perfectly well. And it can be rich and deep and wonderful in its own way, but it does not include community as part of that spiritual fabric. Now, that's my take on it. What about you, and and specifically in the context of this song?
2: that's a really interesting question mark the the line that i'd like to hold up from the song in response to it is together we collect our calories straight from the sun so i've i've gotten a number of different reactions to that line in particular and most of them are presuming that when i say together i mean humans <laughs> like there's this joke of like w- well the joke that I've heard is, wow, you must have some sort of magic powers that I don't have. And I'm, But I'm talking about the life ecosystem, you know, like together as a being, this planet synthesizes the sun's rays into energy that we, we then trade around. So I guess the message that's coming through me is that we are a body. We are a body whether we like it or not, whether we're sick or healthy, whether we're functioning or we're not functioning, <laughs> whether we're doing the roles that we've been put in or whether we're trying to fit into roles that are, are sick, that are unhealthy roles for us to be in. So the question about, about individual spirituality and religion is, may, you know, maybe you could say that religion is at least an attempt to acknowledge that, that we're a body and that we're all sort of cogs in this, well, that's mixing metaphors, that we're a body, that we're all cells or we're all organs in this body or we all compose organs in the body. So maybe religion is an attempt to hold that with some more stewardship and be intentional about those relationships. But spirituality is totally necessary for that relationship. I mean, if you have religion without spirituality, then you become a really unhealthy body. And spirituality is maybe the relationship with the fact that we're in a body the relationship of the cell to the greater organism. If you don't feel love and feel loved by the body that you're in, then you're not going to be making healthy and loving relationships, or rather you're not going to be making loving and healthy decisions about your own actions and the impact of those actions on the wider body.
0: And that all sounds good to me. That makes sense. You've amplified and extended what I was saying and what I would have said if I was as wise as you, I guess.
2: Oh, (laughs) well, thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, One other thing I wanted to mention about that song, there's a couple places in there which are biblical allusions. And early Quakers, even though they didn't... In a lot of ways they were considered to be heretical because they didn't do things in churchy ways. They didn't do them in the same ways that the high church in England was doing at that point. And yet I've heard it said that they breathed scripture. And it felt to me like when you were in there, you were you were breathing scripture when you you're talking you you have some words about Song of Song. This that's why I waited this long to release this Song of Songs, Songs of Solomon. Enthroned with the wood of lebanon, and i 'm going <laughs> that's that's straight out of the Bible, but in an, what I think for many people is an unlikely place
2: well you know what i um so the early friends were my in to the Bible. the environment in which I grew up in it was not conducive to studying Christianity. And and in a lot of ways I would say that Christianity has a has a pretty bad rap right now. You know, like the sort of political movement of Christian evangelicals is giving, you know, giving the whole thing a pretty bad name. So I've been I've been really hesitant in my life to even go there. You know, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of barriers in between me and Christianity and really embracing you know, even words like God. It took me a long time to be able to say a word like God and mean it in a way that I felt like was authentic. And it's not even something that I felt like was worth working on because, you know, they've they've taken it. It's gone. There's some, you know, when you say that, it conjures this image of some big white guy in the sky manipulating everything. And that's not real. That doesn't exist. So why should we say the word? But as I started to explore my own personal spirituality, I realized the word is so important, or at least the concept of, I mean, what do you call that body that we're a part of? What do you call that thing that we serve? You know, I mean, I could, you know, I started with saying, well, it's the infinite, or it's the universe, or it's the planet, but it's not the self. It's not anything secular. It's not anything secular. I mean, I do think that it can be explained in science, but we don't have an explanation for it right now and it's the mystery it is a mystery and it's a mystery that we're interacting with or that we can be and that we all have access to so I've been trying to sort of reclaim that word God. And and also in exploring the early friends, I have felt called in my own way to start exploring the Bible and scripture. And one of the ways that I'm doing that is through my art is sort of welcoming in, especially in this moment, in this poem, just welcoming that ancient wisdom that was originally written in Hebrew by people who existed in the present. You know there was a there was a moment when that the Bible, the stories that we know now were being told word of mouth in the present moment, and they were alive and so um that same thing of sort of trying to use that language but bring it into a context in which I feel like it's expressing something for me feels like work that I'm called to, and that I'm maybe just starting to explore
0: Hold that thought, folks. We'll continue our visit with musician and spoken word artist John Watts next week. You can explore more about him at his site, clotheyourselfinrighteousness.com, or follow the link from northernspiritradio.org. We'll see you next week for Song of the Soul and the conclusion of our visit with John Watts. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul.
2: I no.